0: Hello, hello, it's Kevin here. I hope you're having a great week as we're leading into the holidays and uh, about to wrap up the the year. And I hope you're going to take a little bit of downtime. And, you know, I think there's just a really big need for a little bit of time to relax, both to step away from your computer and then also to invest a little bit of your time working on your business as opposed to in it. I know that's what I'll be doing. I'll be working fewer hours, giving my wife a break so she can take some time. She's been you know, watching my one-year-old all year, which is obviously exhausting and I haven't had any holidays. Uh, so just taking a break uh, and also just thinking about what you're going to do for 2021. It's a good time to sort of reflect on how the year went. Hopefully it was a good year for you. It sounds like a lot of people have had pretty decent success uh, regarding you know, their last year, even though we've lived through a pandemic, which has been pretty stressful on all of us. Um, so I hope you're in that camp in terms of having a successful year and that you're thinking about winding down and enjoying maybe a little bit of holiday season, holiday festivities, and uh, and then, you know, working on the business and thinking about what you want for the new year. You know, I think the best way to start a new year is to design it. So uh, hopefully you're in that mode. I know I certainly am. I'm going to be making some changes to my business, and I'll talk about those as, as I go along as I kind of come to fruition on those. Uh, But yeah, it's been a good year. So um, without any further ado, I want to just jump into a topic that's a little bit uh, different than the ones I normally talk about, at least in terms of how I how I break this down. There's a few things I want to cover today. And the topic today is, is when to know or how to know when to fire your clients. Now, this is something that uh, you're going to probably face at some point in time. There's going to be cases where simply your clients aren't a good fit for you or there's various reasons. And I just want to break through some of the ones to watch for. And you've probably noticed them in the past, mostly so that you can see them when they're coming, that you don't feel like it's all about you in these situations or that maybe, you know... um, you're doing something wrong necessarily. Like sometimes it's the client who's not a good fit for you and sometimes you're not a good fit for them and that's perfectly fine. Uh, it's just part of the game, part of the process. Ideally, it means that you're going to be able to weed out the ones who are um, not a good fit for you in the future before you jump too far into them. And uh yeah, you know, you want to kind of avoid the the, the the red flags early and often. I think, you know, the thing about red flags, I think it was Sean McCabe who says this, he said, red flags are like roaches. When you see one, there are many of them. And, you know, so when you're in the sales process, when you're doing, uh, you know, considering working with a client, you should be really looking for red flag signals. And, you know, they should, you know, they should be kind of hints to you that maybe there's a whole bunch of other red flags and, and it's not a good idea to work together. Why? Well, the worst case scenario is you end up running into some kind of an argument or, you know, worse, like a legal argument. And that's obviously not good. And you can avoid that with good agreements and clear expectations up front. But, uh, the other reason is that frankly, you don't get case studies from clients who aren't ideal. So you end up spinning your wheels and maybe you make a bit of money. And if you have to make money, you know what, go for it. You can, you can roll the dice with some, some red flags, but I, I, you know, if you can avoid it, definitely avoid it. But if you don't get case studies, you don't get reviews, you don't get referrals, you don't get, you know, raving, raving, uh, reviews. You're, you're just sort of, it's very short term. The benefits are very short term. So I'm not a huge fan of those in general. Um, so yeah, just, you know, obviously we don't need to explain why you want to avoid bad clients, but I'll talk about a few things that I've seen over the years and hopefully you can avoid a few in the process yourself or at least know when it's not a good fit for you. So, number 1 is I think anytime a client consistently makes you feel bad or stressed, that's probably a sign that they're not going to be a good client for you. You maybe want to consider distancing yourself or unwinding. There are clients who have superiority issues or that who uh, who maybe are just arrogant or who are high strung or are just flippant or mean or whatever right like there's there's people out there and you come across them every so often and you realize it's got nothing to do with you it's really about them and their personality maybe whatever stresses they're under and i'm sure there's an, an empathetic way to approach it you know anger or aggression is often a sign of fear so that you know usually it means that there's some sort of pressure or stress that you're not aware of or some other battle that they're facing that's kind of being dumped on you but that doesn't mean you should take it if you feel like shit excuse my French, from dealing with your clients, then, then maybe, uh, maybe they shouldn't be your clients because what that does is, and what I've noticed in my business is when I'm dealing with clients, occasionally it'll be like a CFO or it'll be someone else in the company or a partner, or, you know, maybe they snuck by my radar cause they weren't involved in the initial discussions, but, or because they were good at hiding it, I don't know. Um, but, but if I've kind of, if I sniff someone who's adding a bunch of stress and pressure and just generally makes me feel, feel bad or, uh, has an arrogant streak or something, then uh, it it actually puts a lot of pressure on me and I f- start to feel it and it trickles into my family m- family work as well. I become a little more terse, a little bit more, um, you know, just sort of, uh, I don't know. I don't know what the word is, stressed with my own family or I'll be shorter with my wife or, or whatever. And, and that's obviously a terrible thing to do. So at no point should you let someone make you feel bad or make you feel uh, in any way sort of like you know, stress. I mean, look, there's going to be stressful times, but you, you, you know, you don't want them to, if they're, if they're not being constructive and if they're not being positive and you're constantly feeling uncertain or in doubt about what, uh, you know, what they're feeling or what they're thinking that like, it's probably, it's probably a big red flag. You don't want stress. That's going to come and bring into your family. Cause it's just going to make the rest of your life miserable. And no one's going to understand why you're being so mean. Uh, at least, you know, that's been my experience. And I've noticed it before when I'm under a lot of stress because someone in a client's side is being, uh, just mean or rude, then uh, it ends up affecting the rest of my business and the rest of my life. So I just don't want it. Their money is no good here, as they say. So that's the first one. If someone makes you feel bad or stressed, you know, occasionally you're going to have run-ins, but if they're confrontational or if they're short or if they don't communicate well or if they're condescending, you know, that's one of the biggest Beth thieves that I have is arrogance and condescension. Uh, but, you know, if if, if that's kind of their, their vibe or just for whatever reason, if for whatever reason you feel really like bad, it's a signal that you maybe want to move on to other clients. It's going to help you feel so much better, so much more energy to do more work uh, with other people. So that's the first thing to look for. Number two is not implementing your advice. So I've worked with clients in the past where they implement some stuff or they procrastinate and we've talked about what to do when they're not implementing your advice um, or they pick and choose, I'm going to just do some of this stuff, but I'm not really going to listen to you because I don't understand this whole blogging thing or I don't really want to do this and they kind of feel like they know better, but then also then hold you accountable to, to getting results. So they'll, you know, a few months down the line, they'd be like, hey, why aren't we getting more more leads, more whatever? And Uh, if they're not implementing your advice, then obviously there's nothing you can do. There's a reason you, you recommend doing certain things. And, and that's, that's a big part of it is, uh, you got to implement to get results. So if they're not implementing your advice, it's only a matter of time before they don't get results and start getting angry or at least start wondering why they should be paying you. Uh, so that's, that's a big factor to watch for is if they start not implementing or start picking and choosing the stuff That you do. Um, uh, And it's not just a capacity issue. It's kind of a choice or they're procrastinating too long on taking action. That's a big red flag. You should try to pause that as quickly as you can and say, hey, if we don't implement these advice, I I can't get you results or at least I don't know how to do it without doing these things. Do you think there's still scope to work together or do you think that we're wasting each other's time? Because that's... I'd rather not waste each other's time. I'd rather nip that in the bud because it does create resentment later on. If they don't get results and they're not implementing, then they start to wonder what they're paying for, yada, yada, yada. So watch for that, that thing that they're not implementing your advice. Number three is treating you like an employee. So occasionally someone will have not hired a consultant or a freelancer before, or if they have, they just sort of treat you as though you're, you're just part of their, their team. And they, they ask for reports. They ask for deliverables. They ask for stuff like go research, go do this thing. And and you have to be able to know what's in the scope. And that's why having a good clear scope is 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 really key in terms of the fine print and the things you'll do and the things you won't do. Um, occasionally they'll treat you like a you know, like I had one one person uh, a long time ago, a CFO of a company goes, I want you to basically report on the pay per click ads every week. And even if I don't read it, even if I don't understand it, I know that you have have, have analyzed it because you've reported on it and you've given me your assessment and analysis every single week. And I was like, that's that's not what I do, and we hire good people so that we don't have to micromanage them, and I'm not going to get micromanaging with, with the suppliers, but you're welcome welcome to, but it's not something I'm going to do, and especially I'm not going to create you know, a bunch of needless reports and you know paperwork for nothing because that's ultimately what it would amount to after a little bit of time. So I had to push back, and eventually I parted ways with that client because this particular CFO was, uh, he checked a lot of the red flag boxes, it made me feel stressed, uh, anyway, mm-hmm. questioned everything, you know, Wanted arbitrary reports, wanted more micromanagement, had uh, arrogance, you know, all those kind of things I've just mentioned. Uh, so you just watch for that. Anyways, it's, it's part of the game, but you just want to keep an eye out for that. So if they're treating you like an employee, well, you're not an employee. So what does that mean? You get to work whenever you want, wherever you want. You, you use your own tools. Um, your job is really to get results. Like their their job is not to, you can't, you can't treat people like an employee. It ends up becoming an employee relationship and there's all kinds of legal rules around that. So you just need to be able to say, yeah, I'll do this and here's when I'll do it for you. Um, if clients are constantly saying, I need this by tomorrow, they "Need this by Wednesday, and that's sort of the relationship you have, you're turning into an employee and that's not going to work. It's your job to set the speed, set the parameters, set the timelines for what you're going to do. So just watch for when they treat you like an employee, because you're not one and just manage that. And sometimes they'll say, sometimes they'll say, Hey, yeah, like, um, you know, how many hours did you did it take for you to do this task? That kind of stuff that just doesn't fly. So I don't know uh, how to deal with that other than try to watch for that from the beginning. And if, if you find yourself in that situation, just just manage expectations, create, you know, know what your vision is for a great client relationship and explain, hey, this is how I work. I don't get back to you right away or I don't, don't always do things the next day or the, or the same day or, you know, I don't just produce deliverables on demand. We have to decide on what we want. And usually they come in a monthly cadence and you're responsible for them and I'm responsible to help you make them, whatever the case is. But uh, just watch for those employee red flags because you're not an employee and there's a big reason you're not. So don't become one. The, the next num- number four would be expecting results too quickly or uh, not investing adequate resources to get, to get those results. So sometimes clients will be like, hey, we've been working together for four months and I don't have, I'm not seeing an ROI, I'm not seeing more leads, yada, yada, yada. Meanwhile, they haven't invested either enough money up front or during your engagement or they've... Or they have been neglecting their marketing for a long time before that. And that's a very common thing. I'll work with clients sometimes where they maybe they've neglected, maybe they don't have a marketing manager and they've basically done nothing for years and years and years. In which case, really, it's my job to manage that expectation and say, hey, we're kind of at a standing stop here. Like, in order to really do do marketing, you need to build awareness. You need to build, um, you know, you need to get in all the places. You need to have a really good infrastructure, good experience, good value proposition. You need to kind of, you need to invest, right? It's 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 like your health. You, you can need all salads for a month, it's not going to make you healthy. You know, you can go running on a treadmill and eating salads for a month and that's not going to make you healthy either. So it really, you know, requires that investment over time and managing that things take time. They have to get into people's minds with your message and let it sit there and resonate and, you know, show up often and, you know, frequency and follow up. And there's all kinds of things that go on in marketing that, that just take time. Plus there's the buying cycle. Sometimes people will become aware of you in June and want to buy with you in December. But if you're not showing up that entire time. Uh, or if you didn't show up in June and now it's December, then you're obviously not going to get this client. So there's a lot of consideration phases that goes on. People become aware of you and then buy when they're ready. So it's not always like, you know, a matter of hitting people right, right at the moment, at the bottom of the funnel where they're ready to kind of purchase. It's about capturing people's attention at various funnel st- stages of the the buying cycle, if you will, and then waiting until they're kind of matured and, and nurturing those relationships through your marketing. So not not expecting results or not investing enough resources so sometimes clients will tell me hey i want to grow by five million dollars this year but they're like "Well, we've got a fifty thousand dollar budget and i'll be like that's not reality like if it were easy to get that high of an roi then geez like like i mean you could just i don't know it's like there's no stock returns that are that high in in the market in the world and this is business and you have to kind of invest in it takes time, and then it compounds, and that's the way marketing works. So, if you want to grow by five million dollars, maybe you should grow by one million dollars, and then compound that, and compound, compound that momentum, and, and build up your systems and structures and infrastructure and your, your data and everything else, and your brand, and then get, you know, get those results over time. But if you or if you want to accelerate that, and you want to grow by say five million dollars a year. We need a commensurate investment and if, if like if you're currently a five million dollar business you want to double well then geez we need to invest like i don't know 50 or 100 percent of your marketing budget into marketing and do some extraordinary uh, feats um but either way it has to be commensurate and you know uh that that's one thing i watch for as well so in addition to wanting results too fast it's making sure that they're spending enough resources to get them to the goals that they want uh so that that you can actually do that and making sure there's no misalignment of expectations or incentives from the beginning, just making sure that you can actually deliver on what it is they're looking for. Number six. um, I think the other one is kind of like maybe related to uh, what I talked about as terms of being an employee or, or, you know, in general kind of uh, confrontational or just sort of just bad vibes. One would be like, if the client makes you do a dog and pony show you know, every so often, like, hey, show me what you're doing, explain everything to me from scratch, create a big explanation, show me a roadmap, like rewrite all the strategy and all the plan that we're talking about, rewrite it all down for me, because I just want to look at it and print it off, like, you know, any kind of extraordinary sort of re-explain show me the whole world again kind of process it's just not going to fly so you know you shouldn't have to repeat yourself over and over again yes there's going to be a lot of that in your engagements but if they want you to produce long form like I had one client it was like okay we're going to pause for December but we also want you to create a, uh, a plan for the for the new year so that we know whether we're going to go forward with you you know for the next year and whatever else and I was like well I don't I don't just do plans in a vacuum that takes a lot of, a lot of effort. And and frankly, if we're paused, then there's not really, it needs to be a two-way collaboration. Like I can't just tell you the answers because we need to figure out what the answers are together in terms of your internal resources, capacity, goals, et cetera. And, you know, other times where I've seen people go, yeah, show us the whole strategy for what we're going to do with this thing. And meanwhile, we've, we've, we've done that over and over again. And, you know, if you end up having to do a dog and pony show that it ends up taking you distracting you, taking you way out of scope and uh, it ends up just becoming a big waste of everyone's time. So ideally you create a plan, you have them document it, you document it with them, you go through that process uh, and then you roll it out. But you shouldn't have to reinvent the wheel and re-explain everything from scratch every time. It's just not a good way to, it's not a good use of your time. And uh, when, when people look for that kind of thing, it's it usually it's just sort of laziness and they don't understand it, uh, which case, you know, have them write it down, have, have us explain everything that goes into it. I have a marketing strategy like an outcome, like a summary page that basically describes all the channels that we work on, what our thought process is, um, who we work with, what our resources are associated with it, and once we've kind of established a plan that works, I have them sort of fill that out, and uh, and you know it's it gets updated every year as opposed to start starting from scratch and then you know so I don't know that's that helps me go well just look at the marketing you know plan uh, summary and that's going to explain what's going on. So uh, the next one, number six, is not paying you on time. I do not, I do not roll well with chasing invoices. I always get paid in advance, uh, and the key to getting paid in advance is setting expectations from so the beginning that work pauses if I don't get paid, and uh, these payments are due in advance. And you know, like so, by the first of the month um, otherwise, yeah, work pauses. So like, I'm not in the the, the game of chasing. If I, if I did, I'd be spending all my time finding, you know, chasing up clients for their money. So just so you know how I work, I get paid by the beginning of the month. And then as soon as I'm paid, uh, it gets paid by credit card. You automatically, you can put in your credit card. It'll automatically pay me as invoices come out. I'll send them on the due on the date that they're due if you're paying by credit card. Uh, so you pay exactly on the first day of, of the period otherwise um, if you want to pay by check or you want to do whatever then we just need to work back and figure out how long do you need to process that manually internally and then how long does it take to get come to me in the mail uh, so really I don't take any any checks anymore um, so I you know I'll do you know twenty thirty thousand dollars a month in sales and it'll all come through my through a credit card and yeah I take maybe two or three percent on fees but you know that's just to me part of the cost of doing business so um, so yeah that's how I that's how I do it and I would kind of recommend uh, doing the same so um, yeah if you if you find that clients are not getting you paid on time then the the conversation that I typically have is hey uh, notice notice the invoices are taking a little longer to get paid uh, I ask that they're they're due by the beginning of each period totally cool if it takes you a little while let me know when I can send them or let me know how early I should send them in advance so that they can be paid and delivered uh, on time and that way I don't have to worry about it and, you know make it easy on you and that's the the only conversation I have but i've also set up front very clearly both in the in the proposal stage as well as the agreement stage as well as the kickoff call that that's how i work and as long as as long as that's all good then we're all good and if not then then we just stop and we just get the payments back on track because uh, it just removes a complexity that i just don't want involved it, it be, you become a pain you become a thorn in someone's side so it's a huge red flag if you're not getting paid on time and you, it's something you want to watch for um and uh and deal with accordingly. So that's how I do it. So rather than saying, Hey, my invoice is due last Wednesday, when can you pay it? I'll I'll try I'll try to fix the system. So I'll say, Hey, my invoice is uh I noticed the invoices is taking a couple of weeks to get paid. Um they're due in the just to remind you, they're due in the beginning of each month. Do would you like me to send them earlier every month so that they can get processed and paid on time? Because I know, you know, every company has internal processes that sometimes take a little bit of time to um to pay. So I don't want to kind of, you know, I don't, that's basically it. So let me know what I can do to get those, um, to give you enough time to pay them on time. And the last number, number seven is, is overly needy clients. So every now and then I'm pretty lucky, even though I've got the scope of my work is that, uh, I offer unlimited advice. So people can ask me between calls as much as they want. We can get on as many calls. I can join as many supplier calls as necessary. Um, but occasionally there are clients who want you to hold their hand completely and won't do anything without you directly holding their hand, and that's not a really good way to, to work with anybody. So sometimes they'll say, look, if you're not able to implement anything from scratch, uh, what you may need to do is work with a marketing like implementation person or an agency that can do a bunch of stuff for you because you know we're going to move extraordinarily extraordinarily slow if we're spending all our time working on some very fundamental and basic things that can be done by a $20, $30 an hour person. So uh, just something to watch for. So if you find that clients are extraordinarily needy and can't do anything without you, then usually what I do is, first of all, you have the option to delay how quickly you get back to them. You give yourself 24, 48 hours in your contract um, and then just wait for that period of time. And that's advice that I was given when I started creating these productized services. Um, but the other thing is like uh, is, yeah, just just sort of saying like, you know, try it, get a proof of concept going, work on it and come to me when you've reached a roadblock or or you've got a first draft done so I can edit it and give you some feedback and keep you moving along the way and really just kind of put the onus back on them to to try to try to get a proof of concept done, just to put anything together uh, to show you the progress they've made. If they haven't been able to let's say it was a landing page and they haven't been able to write it. Show me your research. Show me the the reviews. Show me the the words that, that your customers are using. Do a survey. Show me where you're going. Like show me literally any effort that you've put into it, and I will then reciprocate and give you a bunch of uh, assistance. But at the end of the day, if if they're overly needy and they can't implement and they're not, they don't have the resources to hire someone, then it just may not be right fit, especially for an advisory relationship. At the end of the day. That's what you're there to do. You're there to add value at a strategic level and make big strides. And if you can't do that, then that's sometimes it's just not a fit. So that's kind of those are the main ones. I think the number eight, the overall, the overall kind of big picture here is not being able to get an ROI. And you know, there's a there's an ROI window. Like marketing is an investment. So <clears throat> excuse me, throat's getting dry. So marketing is an investment. It takes a bit of uh, time to to recuperate that investment. As I said, you gotta build awareness. You gotta stay in touch with people. You gotta build systems. You gotta track stuff. You gotta retarget, there's all kinds of stuff that needs to be done. And uh, that doesn't just happen uh, overnight, but at the same time you'll eventually need to get an ROI. And what does that ROI look like? So for example, let's say my fees are $3,000 a month and I work with a coworking space or whatever and there's recurring revenue elements. I know that all I need to do is sell one $3,000 a month office that would otherwise go unsold and that recurring revenue would pay my bills over and over again. And that's just the nature of recurring revenue businesses. But you need to make a very similar business case with them. So it's not that you have to find one new office every month that would otherwise go unsold because that would be like, you know, your ROI is already paid for. So every new office would be an extension, a double, you know. And then it's not just the new new revenue that comes in. It's the lifetime value of that revenue. So, you know, there's a bit of an equation going on when it comes to the investment mentality behind what you do. But at the end of the day, you have to have uh, an ROI that's at least you can make a business case to work together. And if any of those other things like they're not implementing or their business isn't big enough or, you know, they're they're just, or the or the product isn't good enough. Like there are times where I've put together really great websites and whole marketing funnels. And at the end of the day, the product wasn't either desired enough. It was it was too niche or too broad or or the or the quality of the product just wasn't very good. And therefore, there's no amount of marketing that's going to that's going to help that. So. Um, at the end of the day, if you're not getting an ROI, you can't get an ROI. The best thing you can do also when you're setting expectations is to say, I can give you, I can give you my system and I'm specialized and I can give you my methodology and apply it and get it all set up for you. That's the best thing I can do. I can't guarantee you results. Obviously no one with any integrity can do that, but, um, but, uh, you know, so that's all that I can do. And at the end of the day, if you're willing to implement and you're willing to do it, you should get results. It's pretty repeatable and we can fix the system, if you will. Marketing is no different than like health or all these other things. If, if there's a problem, you can figure out, is it a sales problem, a product problem, a marketing problem based on how many leads you're getting, close ratios, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, you can't fix the product unless you're also a product expert. So, uh, you know, sometimes you just can't get an ROI for your clients. And when that happens... Uh, it's usually just not a good fit. You know, that's, it's an investment, but you also need to think of the, over the long term horizon. They may not recoup your fees in the first year, especially if you're expensive. That may just and or if they're new or they're getting started. <clears throat> but if they have a good, you know, let's say you help them get a good strategic positioning and build out a website and messaging and, and a sales funnel, like yeah, that's going to be an asset that pays back over the next three to five years. And if they don't do that, there's a huge opportunity cost, meaning. Uh, by not doing it, they they lose out on opportunity that they would have had by investing in you. So, and and that opportunity cost is often greater, you know. Like if they try to DIY their website and positioning, and it sucks, business could fail, or they could be much slower to come around to eventually coming to the right positioning, the right website, the right experience, whatever. And um, ultimately, the ROI can be calculated against opportunity costs as well as um, the long term lifetime value. But you need to know what that is. Ideally, you want there to be an immediate or very quick payback period so that they can recoup their investment in you and keep you going. Um, uh, otherwise, obviously, it's just not going to be a good fit. You're eventually, It's going to eventually turn into resentment and you, you're going to want to stop the relationship before it turns into resentment, believe me. So those are the tips that I have just to, just to summar, summarize really quick. And my throat's getting very dry and I've got no water here, obviously. So that's not going to help. So I'll summarize this and then we'll call it a, a, a pod. Um, number one is if they make you feel bad or stressed, that's a red flag. You don't need that. It's going to only make your personal life miserable as well as your professional life. Um, and it'll, it, you know, really hard to come back for that. Number two is they're not implementing your advice, whether they pick and choose your advice or they just they they, they just don't do it or, or, you know, they think they know better or they want to do things their own way, but then also expect results. That's usually a little red flag. Number three is treating you like an employee. Uh, you're not an employee, so don't act like one, don't be treated like one. Number four is expecting results too quickly or not investing enough resources to to, to meet their goals. So making sure that they're in alignment and that their expectations are set and that they understand that things take time. Um, not too much time, hopefully, but we're talking, you know, half months or half years to a year or several months to get some meaningful results, uh, especially if they're starting from a cold start. Uh, if they're confrontational or make you do a dog and pony show with every, uh, with you know, with like uh, every every month or every quarter or every year, and they kind of act as though they've never heard of what's going on, they they need to be resummarized everything that you do and and everything that's going on, and to get you to do all this work for free, it just doesn't doesn't work very well. So uh, that's why I get them to write out their their strategy summary or their plan, uh, so that we have notes on all the different channels and all the different activities we're doing. Uh, not paying you on time, so making sure you're getting paid in advance, and that comes back to the agreement. Being clear during the agreement that if you go forward here's how you work in the in the proposal rather in the agreement so when they sign uh, during your kickoff call and then anytime it comes up just 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 checking in to say hey how's, how when do I need to send these to get them paid on time not just sent out to me but also to receive them if they come via mail and then uh, processed in your inbox that's how you word that stuff uh, just making sure that you check in and nip it in the bud early if it happens more than once address it and 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 fix the system not the current invoice but fix. How do you get it fixed for the future? Uh, number seven is if they're overall too needy. Uh, they they're you know they need too much of your time and it's no longer aligned with your average scope, and you're not profitable on it, or it's just kind of becoming a drain on you. That's a, 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 a signal you may need to fire your client. And number eight is an ROI. So if you ultimately can't get an ROI, whether that's short term, long term, and the payback period is way into the future, or the lifetime value is you can't imagine ever coming back on that lifetime value, um, then those are all signals that you. Uh, may need to part ways and that's going to end up being better for all of you because you don't want to get to the end of a relationship and then be like, this whole thing was a waste of money and time. Uh, you always want to kind of address that early and often, check in with them, make sure that the the business case to work together is strong and that'll make you both happier in the long run, get you more uh, refer, uh, referrals, get you more case studies, reviews, testimonials, all that good stuff. So those are it. Those are the eight signs to look for uh, when considering hiring a uh, firing a client uh, there's going to be different cases for you at the end of the day. If it doesn't feel right, either address it head on and try to get it fixed. And if it still doesn't work out, time to get going, time to say goodbye. I hope you have a wonderful holiday season. I don't know how much I'll be active over the next little while. I'm going to take next week off, but probably work a little bit in the business. So, uh, I'd like to show up and, and to keep, uh, keep posting some content. Hopefully I can get some recordings out over the holidays. I may have to pre-record something. Um, but, uh, Whatever happens, I look forward to serving you in the new year. And uh, please let me know if I can do anything to help. Okay, bye for now.